Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning in with us today. We've got another great show for you today. Uh, Tony and I are going to be talking about epic fails. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're going to talk about the things at your house that are not expected to last the lifetime of your house. Obviously, here's a very simple example of something that's going to last the lifetime of your house. The foundation. The walls. Right? These the, these are things that can last the entire lifetime of your home. Well, you hope so. But there are things that don't last the entire lifetime of your home. Things that you can expect that will have to be replaced. And being able to expect it, then it doesn't come as a surprise, and it's easier to plan for it. That's right. So we thought we would take a little time and share with you a list of the things that we see at a home that are expected to fail at some point, and just raise your awareness of things that, that you'll, something that's in your future. Many of these uh, we have fallen victim of. Yeah. Some of them are super simple and easy and everybody knows it. Here's a primary example of that. A light bulb. <laughs> Obviously, light bulbs have a lifespan and that lifespan compared to the lifespan of your home is short. So those are, that's something that you have to plan for, something that has to be replaced. Yeah. You know, Pretty often, I would say, you know, with the advent of um, LED, LED, probably yeah. not as much, but, you know, the old incandescent bulbs were, you know, they'd burn out quite often. Right. Absolutely. So that's money that you have to spend periodically in order to keep things running smoothly in the home. Well, some of the things in the home that will fail are not as obvious. So we're going to talk about some of those things. Yeah, you know, I guess probably the biggest thing, like you said, Tony, is just being prepared, having the wherewithal to maybe save some money. Like, you know, for a fact that a water heater is going to last around 15 years. So, you know, that you need to have around that 15 year mark. Just keep an eye on it. And when it fails, don't be surprised. Are you picking on me? You know that my house is 15 years old and I have my original water heater. No, I feel like you just jinxed me. Yeah, that's a bad jinx. I'm gonna go. It's gonna happen. I'm gonna go home and not have any hot water, and I'm gonna say it's Corey's fault. Have you been uh, draining it every year like you're supposed to? No, I definitely have not. As a matter of fact, I got some advice from a really good friend of mine who said, "Hey, look, if you're five years in and you haven't already been doing it, you're probably just asking for trouble if you do." <laughs> that is, uh, from my understanding, that is exactly what would happen. There is a sacrificial rod in there that. Uh, attracts the uh, minerals and it erodes that instead of the jacket right that your uh, water heater's on and as it erodes it creates sediment or if your water has sediment or it's hard then that stuff will settle in the bottom of your water heater and if you try to drain it you could just cause a lot of problems if you're already down the road from what i've seen you're actually supposed to drain them every year and if you do drain it every year and you're and you're regular on that, then you probably will extend the life of it longer. The in case you don't know about a water heater or how it works, um, the water is filled into the water heater from the top, but 
into a down tube that goes all the way down to the bottom. And it feeds the hot water heater with cold water. And then the cold water populates at the bottom and fills up from the bottom up. And then up at the top where uh, your water comes out of the hot water heater to go to your sink or your shower, that water is hot. So as the water is coming into the hot water heater at the bottom, it's cold. And then the hot water heats it, the hot water heater heats it and then it goes out the top. So sediment and things inside there that fall from your sacrificial rod or whatever, that stuff settles at the bottom. It doesn't really affect you because it doesn't hang out at the top and uh, you know cause you to be using dirty water or anything like that. Um, but some things about your water heater can fail, like that sacrificial rod, if it breaks uh, down in, in that area, you know that can be something that needs to be replaced. It can cause your hot water heater stop working, or your down tube can come disconnected from the top. And then what's happening then is the cold water is being deposited at the top of your water heater instead of at the bottom, shortening the amount of hot water that you have available to you when you take a shower. So those short, hot showers um, are, are as a result of your hot water heater malfunctioning. Yeah, we actually had somebody one of our listeners come up to us and ask us this question just a couple weeks ago, and I'm not a, a, a huge plumbing expert, uh, so I would defer to a plumber or somebody in that in that world. But uh, that is my understanding as well um, that that anode rod can go, and if you wait and start draining it after the fact, uh, you're just kind of asking for problems at that point. So yeah. if you're going to do it, you got to start doing it in the beginning. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Have don't you know. ever drained a hot water heater? I never have. I mean, you know, so you have to attach something to the bottom, like a hose, right? And then drag yeah, the hose a outside. Right, right. And then uh, turn that thing on so that that water all comes out. I mean, you have to drain that out into your lawn or something. It's really kind of a messy process and lengthy. And then, of course, you have a period of time where you don't have any hot water after you're filling it back up. So, um, But you have to do that if you're going to replace... Um, any parts of it, you of course have to drain it first. So, um, anyways, that's one of the things, right? That's actually a, a decent expense, right? We're probably talking about somewhere in the neighborhood of $500 or $800, maybe even more, depending on the hot water heater that you get or the size of the one that you get. I think I just got one and I think mine was about 1500 bucks installed. So, that's that's my experience. I don't know if I got ripped off or not. <laughs> I, I maybe. I mean, so I don't know. That's yeah. Well, you know, it's not cheap, right? Plumbing, you know, it's not really uh, not really our number one thing. Plumbing and electric are you know things that are a little outside of our realm. Yeah, there are things that uh, even a weekend warrior shouldn't tackle. I mean, I was actually told one of my buddies was like, "Oh, you can do it," but the thing about Water heaters in Oregon, especially, and actually Washington, too, is that you have to have, it's all seismic here, so you have to have them strapped in properly. Right, yeah. And the biggest thing that, that I feared uh, was the gas, right? So I have a gas water heater. Oh, yeah. And when it heats up, it has exhaust, and that exhaust has to vent out through the roof. And if you don't do it right, it could leak and fill my garage where my water heater is with, with you know maybe CO two fumes and or, potentially, yeah. you know, and that it's I just didn't want to mess with that, and I don't feel as a a weekend warrior who almost tackles just about anything. There's 
there's things like that that I just will stay away from. Just a little out of your scope, huh? I, I mean, feel, yeah. My situation would be even worse if I were on gas, which I'm not, but if I were, my hot water heater is inside my home. It's actually yeah. in the, the entry closet behind the coats. And What, do you have electric, though? It's electric, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, there's definitely electric that would have to be dealt with. And so, and then the plumbing aspect of it. And it's, you know, if I had somebody with me like you that had done the work before, I would feel confident going forward with somebody else's, you know, experience at the very least, whether it's expertise or not. Having somebody with you that's been through it before, it, you know, is a really good way to add that sort of thing to your repertoire. But even with an electric you got to make sure you wire it properly. Yeah, you definitely need to have somebody there that's helping you. All right, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, more things in your home that will fail. You're listening to Tony Corey, Your Weekend Warriors. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors. Thanks for staying with us today on the show. We're talking about epic fails uh, and not in terms of things that we've done, but <laughs> things, epic failures within your home. Right. Or home failures. And uh, there's a lot. The list is long. I mean, the, a lot of these Tony and I have experienced firsthand. And some of them, I just know. I've created a list in my head of things around my house. And I do this regularly. I don't know if you do this, Tony, or not, but... I walk around my house regularly and I look at things and I go, that's not looking too good. Or that's getting really, really old and I'm going to add that to my mental list of things that I need to get replaced or fixed or fixed up. I mean, there's just there's a big list in my house. And I guess that's just me. I'm a, I'm a kind of a perfectionist. I really like my house, everything in my house to be tip top and in really good shape. It reminds me of a, of a funny uh, of a funny thing. You and I were having a conversation one day right here in the studio. We were talking about something and I said, you know, Corey, what would be really great would be to get a second set of eyes on my home. I want you to come out to my house. Let's walk around and take a look and see what we see. And we'll have conversation about things that probably need to be addressed that I'm not addressing currently. And it's, sometimes it's nice to have a second set of eyes. And so I kind of rely on Corey's list. <laughs> <laughs> for my house. I say, oh, I need to fix this. Tony's like, oh, yeah, I need to do that, too. Yeah, I need to do that. I mean, but you know what? That's what it's about. You you have to be thinking about those things, talking about those things, and planning for those things. I'm not going to see something that needs to be done and then rush out and do it that weekend, probably, because I have a long list of things that's going to take a long period of time mm -hmm. to get done, and I like to get spend some time thinking about it and planning for it and deciding, you know, what it's going to be like doing that, or if I can't, finding somebody who can help me with it. Well, is it better to know that you have money in the bank to pay for a repair, you know, a year before you need it, or right when it happens and you have to scrape together two grand? Right. Never fun. I mean, it's, yeah, if you got to go to the bank and take everything you got, two grand, and go replace your water heater, it's like that's money that you'd never... See, or you, you know what I mean? That's like a repair that you don't even care that you made. Right. Other than now that you have hot water. You right. don't see it. It's not something that you 
you know, other, you know what I mean? Again, it's hot water, but, you know, it's, you don't see it. It's not like upgrading your bathroom or your closet right. or something that, It's like you know, adding insulation to your you're attic. Enjoying, yeah. You're paying all this money to be more comfortable. Yep. But you don't ever see it. You know, nobody's ever going to come over and go, oh, you must have really nice insulation. Yeah. So the best three grand I ever spent was having the exterior of my home painted. Yeah. Because that's something you appreciate every single day. Absolutely. Multiple times in a day. You know, it's funny, that tip you just gave about having somebody else come over, that's actually, we've talked about that before with curb appeal. You know, ask a neighbor to come over and... and, and that you trust and say, man, what would you, what, what would you looks, change to your house? What looks dumpy about my house? Before <laughs> you ask that question, you need to put on your armor because it's what oh, comes yeah. from a good friend. What comes back is going to probably be a little painful. It's going to sting a little. You know that that uh, roast, like the roasting shows yeah, where they yeah. put people in and they, they make fun of them. You, yeah, you I have love to have those. really tough skin when you say, just be honest. <laughs> yeah, you do. What do you think of my house? Yeah. And you go, man, I tell you what. You're, you're the dumpiest house on the street. <laughs> yeah, but you want to hear that if you're going to improve, right? Where there's no feedback, there's no improvement, I feel like. Yeah, if you care to hear it. Yeah, if you care to hear it because you want it to be better, then that's what you got to do. You got to get somebody to tell you and be honest with you about it. Yeah. So, so uh, we talked about a water heater, right? And we talked about the electrical aspect and the plumbing aspect. And that's definitely something that should be on your radar Obviously, you know, somewhere 10 to 15 years into your home, or if you've bought a home and you don't know how old it is, I mean, it needs to be on your radar. But there's a well, lot of appliances. Real. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say there are things, for instance, um, in my case, I replaced my furnace, not because it was necessarily bad, but it was extremely outdated. It was 30 years old and it was super inefficient. It was a very inefficient furnace. So I replaced it for two reasons. One, I knew it was going to break. It was going to be an epic fail. And I didn't want to be in the middle of winter with a <laughs> pregnant wife and child. When it happened. When it happened. Right. And it's like, I knew it was going to happen. So I preemptively paid the money, had a brand new furnace put in, a super high efficiency furnace. So my my heat bill actually went down. Uh, not enough to, say, pay for itself, you know, in a short period of time. Sure. But it will pay for itself in the comfortability of my home and in my pocketbook uh, in that bill. And your peace of mind. Yes, and my peace of mind. And the same thing in uh, the same thing happened with my air conditioner. I had an older air conditioner that was uh, installed in the house when we bought it. And the condenser outside um, started not working mm -hmm. and the AC would was intermittent. Yeah. And they actually came over. My uh, buddy who's an HVAC contractor came over and he's like, yeah, you got, you got like a few months left on this thing and it's toast on its last leg. So we, have, will. At, we opted at that time to get both, both that's a, situations. Yeah, done. That's a big expense, but it's not as big of an expense if you're planning for it than it is if you're not. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you got to kind of know about it ahead of time to be able to plan for it. Absolutely. You know, so there's a lot of other appliances, too, that I think we probably think, well, this should last forever, but it probably won't. And if you don't maintenance it regularly, it's going to shorten its lifespan. Here's one primary example. Um, refrigerator. Refrigerators are expensive. They are. I mean, you know, six or seven or eight hundred dollars, probably up to even. I mean, oh yeah, you can get Three refrigerators grand. that talk to you, and you know they get really expensive. I think the mid-level refrigerator now is like fifteen hundred bucks. Right. I mean, a, a, a lower end, yeah, with uh, maybe just a, a 
freezer over, you know, something like that. Yeah, you can get those for 800 bucks, 600 bucks. Something that fails on a refrigerator, if it's the refrigerator that's hooked up to your water and it makes ice for you and dispenses water, right? Well, that refrigerator has a filter that filters that water that comes from your pipes before it goes into your cup. Well, those filters only last probably, I don't know, three months or six months, maybe a year. Um, but you got to be prepared. Those things are 40 or 50 bucks a piece. I think you probably get yours on Amazon. You get everything on Amazon. I do. I buy like three packs in there. But yeah, they're still $25 a piece. Yeah. How often do those things go away? You know, uh, it depends probably, probably on how much right. you use it. Yeah, and it depends on probably the water that you have. Uh, mine actually has a little alarm. My fridge has a little alarm. Yeah. tells me, hey, change it. Yeah, then that whether you change that or don't change that, that's not really going to shorten the life of your refrigerator. Something that will shorten the life of your refrigerator is dust and um, what do you call dust bunnies? What is like a really big dust bunny lint and things that yeah. get attracted onto the coils that are underneath your refrigerator? Some of the newer refrigerators, I think, have like a, some underpinning or something that kind of protect it from that, but it gets in there. If it's sucking air in to cool the motor of the fridge, then anything where it's sucking air in can go right in there with it. And you have to be prepared to take that cover off, that vent cover off, and vacuum that stuff out in there because it can certainly shorten the life of your refrigerator. Yeah, it pays to pull it out once in a while and uh, clean that out. And I actually have fallen victim to a refrigerator leak. That's what uh, got us to remodel our kitchen a few years back. Uh, the Where it the water entered into the fridge, that wore out, I guess, and broke. And... It just happens. It was an epic fail that caused $60,000 worth of damage yeah. in, in my case. But those, like the water supply line, that's another one. The water supply lines that you're supposed to replace regularly on your washing machines, uh, your dishwasher. They even say, I think on your toilet, you're supposed to replace that water supply line every so often. Yeah, I'm thinking about the backside of a refrigerator, an older refrigerator, right? We'll probably have like a quarter inch copper tube that's sort of coiled up back there and then mm -hmm. runs into the floor and goes to your water supply. Um, those those copper tubes have a tendency to get kinked. And if you move your fridge in and out, if you're vacuuming behind it or retrieving um, toys for the kids, you know, you move that in and out, that can get kinked and that will cause that to fail and be in the same situation you're in. And you definitely don't want to have that. Yeah. All right. We got to take another quick break. When we come back, more things in your home that will fail. You're listening to Tony Corey, Your Week in Words. We'll be right back. Built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. If you haven't already, go check out our Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube channels. We're at WW Home Show. We're actually filming this right now for our YouTube channel. Podcast, you can go check that out uh, on youtube.com forward slash WW Home Show, uh, or you can go check out our website. That's the easiest. It's wwhomeshow.com, or you can go to par.com. That's P A R R.com. Click on the Weekend Warriors link and it'll take you there. You can also pick up our podcast on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google 
Play and uh, Apple Podcast. <laughs> I'm getting there. Getting there. Well, it's we'll a lot. Someday we'll be able to spout all that up. Yeah, we're everywhere. I mean, yeah. if you, if you miss the show and you're you're just catching it, or if you want to just go listen to it again, go download our podcasts. Those are doing. Uh, they're just sitting there, hanging out. Yeah, they're doing really good. Lots so, uh, of, lots of listens. Today we're talking about epic failures uh, around your house, things that are commonly uh, falling apart. Yeah. On your house. I'll tell you what. I mean, I don't. I, I know that we've got a list, and I'm going to jump a little bit because it, it's really weighing on me. I've been having almost nonstop trouble. Um, after 15 years in the house and having no trouble at all, I'm having nonstop trouble with my toilets. I have three toilets in the house. And all three of them have needed to have, at different times, mind you, which is probably what's weighing on me the most, uh, have had to have the valve on the inside replaced, have had to have the handle replaced, have had to have... The water supply lines, right? Didn't you do that? Yeah, had the water supply lines replaced, had to replace the closet bolts. I mean, I feel like my toilets literally had a 15-year lifespan, and then right at the 15-year mark, they all just started falling apart, but at different times. They take a lot of abuse. Here's a, a, here's a little story, and this is very important. <laughs> nice. Um, I had a leaky toilet. I could hear it running, right? So here it is just on a random Tuesday and I hear the toilet running when I'm not even in the bathroom and it just comes on and, and runs for a little bit and then it stops. And I realize that what's happening is some water is leaking out through the bowl and then the tank is draining into the bowl to replace that water. And then water is having to fill the tank when it reaches a certain point back up. Yep. Right. And so it just runs for a little bit and then it stops. Well, I thought, yep, I need to replace that valve probably because it's causing my toilet to run but i didn't do anything about it you know a couple of weeks goes by a couple of months goes by and and i hear it and i hear it and i hear it and i finally decide man i'm gonna have to do something about that guess what i got my water bill and my water bill was unbelievable like 500 dollars. and i said what in the world is going on i mean it's only just running for a few seconds, 750 times a day. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, and it was a lot. And I had no idea of the volume of water that I was losing. That's a lot of water. When I was hearing this thing run a little bit. So uh, I, I naturally uh, had no idea what I was doing. And then I replaced it, of course, immediately after that and learned a valuable lesson. Now, the city that I live in actually refunded me back a large portion of that money, which they do for people who experience, you know, leaky toilet. If you have a leaky toilet and you have to fix it and you show them a receipt that you fixed it, they will put that together with your bill and then they'll refund you back some money. I'm not saying everybody does that. The city that I live in did that. It made it a little bit easier to, you know, to bear. To flush. But I'll tell you what, I hear that toilet run now. And I'm rushing out to the store. You're going you're to flush out that problem? To get whatever I need to fix that. But uh, here's another little tip. I don't know if you've replaced a toilet handle in your toilet recently. Yes. Do not use a plastic toilet handle. No. I put a brand new plastic toilet handle in my toilet, and I'm like, okay, I won't have to do that for another 15 years. Yeah, like three months, broken, and I had to replace it again. So I realized that just grabbing the cheapest plastic toilet handle that's out there just because it's white and it matches your toilet, not necessarily the way to go. 
Get something that's sturdy, heavy duty. It's worth it for a few extra bucks to get something that will last. And uh, oh, hey, I have a question for you. Did you have you ever checked your water pressure on your home? I mean, I have uh, because the city actually at one point came out and said we need to reduce the amount of water pressure that you have. Your setting at the street level is too high, and they had to cut it back to a certain point where they I had everybody. I just wonder because with high water pressure can come many failures. That is that is a one of the things that when you buy a home, they will actually test the water pressure, mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be within a certain range. Right, and they won't say. Yeah, you got to fix this or else, you know, and you might think, I'm not fixing that. Right. I love the showers. <laughs> yeah. But you it, have to think about the valves in your washer and in your uh, dishwasher and all of these other things, you know, in your washing machine, uh, washing machine and all those things, right? They're made out of plastic. And when they turn on, you'll hear them. And then you'll hear the water flow and then you hear them turn off. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's if there's a lot of water pressure, it could be a jolt to that system. And the same thing with the water supply lines on your toilets. Those same things, those, those all of those valves and all of those things are made of plastic. And with too much water pressure, it can cause catastrophic failures. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, big catastrophic failures. So you're better off getting the water pressure checked Um if you haven't had it checked in a while, maybe check it if you're having a lot of issues like you were having. Mm-hmm. You can get what's called installed on your water, if you have water from the street, a PRV valve, a mm-hmm. pressure-reducing valve. It's kind of a pear-shaped little thing with a screw on top. And uh, you, it installs in line with your main, water main, coming in. And you can just dial thre- it back, thread it down. You had to turn the water pressure down or up. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had a situation where... I had somebody ask me about low water pressure, and sure enough, they climbed under their house, and there was a PRV valve down there, and it was just cranked all the way down. Mm-hmm. So he was able to just thread it out a little bit, turn the water pressure up, and he was golden. Nice. So That sounds like a pretty easy fix. Yeah. For a shower that doesn't shoot out enough to cover your whole body. <laughs> speaking like, of like the, an RV shower, you're like... Speaking of the shower, there's something else that fails. Shower heads. Shower heads, like other faucets, fail. They will not last the lifetime of your shower or the lifetime of your house. And uh, I actually need to replace my shower head right now. It's some of the little holes where the water's supposed to come out or clogged or blocked or whatever. I probably just need to soak that thing in something that, you know, CLR that uh, soak it and breaks C- down those CLR. minerals. That's, yeah, I do that actually pretty regularly. I'll take the shower head off. And you'll, you know, they'll start to just spray randomly or one will shoot off towards the wall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can take the whole thing off, unthread it, take it apart and drop it in a bag, like a one gallon Ziploc baggie of put some CLR in there and then put the shower head in there and zip it up and let it sit there overnight. And then next morning, rinse it off. Bam. Brand spanking new. Wow. That's a great tip. I really need to uh, I need to do that because I'm having some trouble with mine right now. Yeah, you know, uh, another failure can happen with your shower valves, the, the handle valves. Um, in my particular case, I had this just happen to me. We had to replace them because there's a mix valve in there that can wear down. There's all kinds of O-rings in there that prevent, the, say, the water from getting really hot. 
and it's to you know protect you when you're in the shower. Somebody flushes the toilet, and you get super duper hot water. So those mixture valves in there can wear out, and you can replace them. A lot of them have cartridges that you just slide out and slide back in. Uh, but ours was so old, we just opted to replace the whole thing. Another so. very common failure in the shower is the caulking that's used um, between the tub and the and the wall or whatever it is that the interior finishes of your shower. Uh, caulking in a shower will get mildewy. It will come. It will separate. It will split or crack. And uh, when that starts to happen, you need to strip all that stuff out of there, clean it really good, make sure it's dry, make sure it's dry, and then replace that sealant in uh, all of those nooks and crannies uh, because it just simply won't last forever. I actually uh, have some tips about that. We'll get back. All right. Take a quick break. When we come back, more house failures. Listen to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Show built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for sticking around. Today, we're talking about epic home failures. And uh, before the break, we were talking about the shower and how the shower valve can go bad. You know, your shower head sometimes can be, you know, an epic fail there. Uh, one of the things when you're recalking, we were talking about caulking in your bathtub and surround. If you use the wrong type, it will fail even sooner. You'll start seeing it mold, and it'll turn black, and doesn't matter the amount of stuff you spray on it. It is not going to come out. So you want to make sure that you're using the proper sealants on the front side. You can buy uh, mold and mildew preventative caulking that has mildicides in it, uh, that's definitely what you want to use. In silicone base, you don't want to use anything sort of acrylic, uh, in my opinion, because uh, acrylic is water-based. So you wouldn't want to put anything water-based right. inside in of your shower. shower. <laughs> you know, Silicone <laughs> yeah. is messy. It's hard to work with. You have to clean it with mineral spirits. Uh, but if you get good at it, you can just you know, caulk it in there, lay the bed in there, and then tool it. And uh, it's... It's not that difficult. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to say the caulking that's in there, you never want to just caulk over top of what's already there. Right. You know, I actually, we had a situation in our bathroom that we're in the middle of working on uh, shortly here. We're picking out all the new finishes for it, but um, there's some black mold in there on the caulking. And my wife said, well, can't you just put some new over right. the top, just yeah. cover it up for now? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, unfortunately, no. Because it won't even stick. So that's one of the things I've seen before where people caulk right over top of old caulking. And that does nothing. Oh, no. They'll just pile it in there. Yeah. Just get a good, you know, three-quarter to one-inch bead. <laughs> just slather it in there. Get a, you know, get a tool and just, gr like, grout in there. So what you got to do is cut it out. You got to cut the old caulking out. Unfortunately, that's the only way to do it. And then you need to clean and dry the material behind the old caulking after it comes mm -hmm. out needs to be clean and dry before you apply the new sealant. Yes, sir. Yep, that's a good tip. That's a great tip. You know, when we're talking about things to fail, just here's one word. I know we've already mentioned it in the refrigerator. Filter. If it has the word filter, 
that it needs to be replaced. Filters are not meant to last. Filters are meant to fill up and be replaced with a new filter. So filter anywhere in the house is something that's got to be done. As long as you're in the bathroom, the exhaust fan in the bathroom. That is, man, that thing is on all the time. You, A lot of people have an exhaust fan that comes on when the light comes on. And if you think about how often the light's on in there, that exhaust fan is running a lot. And when it's running, it's sucking air out of the room and everything that's in the air is going with it. That thing gets filled up with dust and lint and whatever is there and a hair and you have got to vacuum that thing and keep it as clean as possible, but eventually it will stop working and uh, it will need to be replaced as well. Well, there's a lot of filters, too, that can be cleaned. For instance, uh, range hood filters, a lot of times those can just be taken out and soaked in uh, some sort of solution. And then you rinse them off, dry them off and put them back in there and they're completely fine. Even some furnace filters. Some furnace filters are... One-year filters, they have uh, little things, they're metal, and you pull them out, and you rinse them off, and you put them back in. Mm-hmm. So it's, But it's just that maintenance. you got to do it because, like Tony said, a filter's meant to attract all that stuff, and when it's full... It's full. It's full. And then it stops working. And then if it's reducing the amount of airflow because it's got stuff in it, then it's causing the machine that it's filtering the air for to work harder than it should. Right. And that's really where... Effectively lowering its efficiency and its lifespan. Lifespan, yeah. That's really important. And here's another one, Corey, that we should spend a few minutes talking about. The biggest filter in your house. Do you know what the biggest filter in your house is? I know. I know you know. What is the biggest filter in your house? The carpet in my living room. That's right, the carpet. I mean, you've got a pretty big filter in your furnace. Don't get me wrong. That thing's a monster. It is pretty big. But it's not as big as your carpet. Your carpet filters literally everything. And while your carpet can be cleaned, you know what can't be cleaned? The pad underneath your carpet. And if you have a conventional pad underneath your carpet, then it's susceptible to staining and odor and all of the things that go through your carpet. Your carpet literally is um, full of holes. You can't see them. They're tiny little holes, but they're full of holes. And anything that's deposited in the carpet that doesn't get vacuumed up just goes right through that carpet and onto the pad. That means, you know, anything that came from inside of your dog or from inside of your children or, you know, from off of your plate or whatever, it gets onto the carpet. It soaks through the carpet and into the pad. Now, you can clean your carpet all day long, but you will not get that that greasy, stinky, stain type stuff out of that pad. And so eventually that pad will need to be replaced. Greasy. I mean, it's true. You know, this, you've had this situation where you have a carpet. Maybe it's a lighter colored carpet and you have some problems. So you hire a, you know, somebody to come in and clean it. Maybe a steam cleaner. Maybe Stanley Steamer comes in and they clean your carpet and you're like, wow, it looks so great. And then about one week later, you start to see, hey, is that a new stain right where that old stain was? Now it just comes right back because the stuff that's in the pad just pushes right back up through the carpet again because you can't get it out of the pad. Here's a tip for you. If you're going to replace your carpet in a room or some rooms and you want to preserve the life of your pad, You can buy what they call a pet pad, which actually has a plastic, a very thin plastic uh, layer at the top of the pad, which beads up water and get or 
other liquids, which gives you an opportunity to to shampoo the carpet and suck that stuff from on top of the pad back up into the vacuum cleaner or whatever yeah. item you're using to shampoo it. I would hope not a vacuum cleaner. It is a little bit more expensive. Well, Kirby's got a shampooer on it. It's oh, a vacuum cleaner, but it shampoos. Oh, yeah. So anyways. A vacpoo? It's a good tip going forward if you uh, want to preserve the life of your pad, but it's definitely, it can be expensive to replace your carpet, and it's something you should plan for. Something else with the flooring. Uh, you know, old floor, they get worn out. Uh, even some of the newer floors that are out there, like engineered hardwoods that are pre-finished, mm-hmm. pre-finished engineered hardwoods. I have such a flooring in my home, and I thought it was the greatest thing since Swiss cheese. Uh, put it in there, and it's bam, it's done. You don't have to do any sanding or finishing. You just put it in and nail it down. And, and it looks great. And it does look great for a little period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I am not the biggest fan now that I've had it for five years. I would say if I were to do it over again, I would go with sand in place. Put the three-quarter inch hardwood down, sand it down to flat, and then put a coat you know, or several coats of high gloss finish or, or whatever finish you want on it. Uh, the biggest problem that I have is with the pre-finished engineered hardwoods at every seam. You know, the kids, they spill a drink and they don't clean it up or you have a pet and they uh, the biggest one have is accidents. A, the biggest one's an ice cube. Yeah, an ice cube. Ice cube drops and you can't see it. No. Nope. Right? But then hours later it's melted and now it's a puddle. And it's sitting right on top of two boards, right where two boards come together. And the thing is, is the finish on the board is waterproof. It is. Yeah. But the gap between the two boards, when the water soaks down in there and gets down to the tongue and the groove, on the edges of the board, it's not pre-finished. And that's susceptible to soaking and swelling. I know. I would, uh, <laughs> they say, they say, oh, it was, shouldn't swell. But it does. It does. I and mean, it gets down in the edges and it swells. Yep. And in my kitchen especially, there's a lot of areas where the ice cubes, the ice cubes, my kids love ice. I know. And it just goes everywhere. And then you don't see it for a day. Right. And then the the edges of that, all that hardwood is just lifted up. And I I think it looks terrible. An ice cube that drops from the fridge or the freezer to the toe, which gets redirected, can travel across that floor like 35 feet. And you'll never, you're looking in the general vicinity of where that ice cube should be. And it's not, it's no, on the I know. other side of the room. It's and terrible. Impossible to find until but, it's a, until it's a swollen spot on the floor. Depending on which engineered hardwood flooring you have, a lot of them can be sanded down and refinished. I have, uh, a, the flooring that I chose, actually, the reason I chose it is because it does have the top veneer. Uh, it's really thick. It's like almost three sixteenths of an inch thick. And it can be sanded down and refinished up to three times, according to the sales person at the store. Uh, so I'm prepared. I know at some point it's going to drive me to the point where I think it just looks terrible. And uh, I'm going to get the whole house sanded down and finished flat and a new coat put on top of it. That's going to be very nice. I think uh, it, I, love to, I, love to be, um, I love to be the recipient of a new floor. Floors are amazing when they're freshly finished and uh i I would be jealous of you we gotta actually take a quick break uh here shortly when we come back though we're going to be covering more of the items on the list things that you can expect to fail in your home uh you're listening to tony and Corey, your weekend warriors and we'll be right back
Hollywood Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for sticking around. I'm Corey Valdez. I'm Tony Cookston. Today we're talking about epic house failures. Epic fail of uh, things that just happen. Yeah. That happen to go bad inside of your house that you should not be terribly uh, surprised about. Right, exactly. Here's one thing in your house that needs to be replaced periodically. Toothbrush. If you're using the same toothbrush that you've always had, folks, you need to replace it. Go back and forth between the grout, the toilet, and your teeth. <laughs> you're using the same toothbrush for all of those things. No. Gross. Uh, but like a toothbrush, some things need to be replaced. They wear out, and they're designed to do that, and then you need to replace it with a new one. And so, But some of the things are very obvious, and some of the things are not so obvious. Well, I want to take us back in the bathroom, no, unfortunately. not in the bathroom. I don't want to get you down in the dumps. Uh, in the dumps. Or anything, but uh, <laughs> we got to go back to the bathroom because there was one thing on my list that regularly happens. A, and it's with the toilet again, the closet bolts. And if you don't know what a closet bolt is, it's essentially underneath your toilet, there is a wax ring and a another ring that is screwed down to the floor. And these closet bolts are like a little, like a oval shape at the bottom. And they slide into that ring and then rotate around so that you're, they align with your toilet. Mm-hmm. And you put the toilet down on there and tighten those up and then those little white caps pop over those. <laughs> the white caps last like six months. I know. And it either breaks or gets lost somewhere. Uh, a lot of times those dang uh, closet bolts are made out of really cheap material and they rust very quickly. And sometimes, you know, you'll you'll go to use the bathroom or the toilet and it's it rocks. Yep. And if you don't address that right away, then you are asking for trouble. Yeah. Because everything that you go that put in that toilet goes through that wax ring. <laughs> and if you're creating separation between the wax ring and the toilet and the floor and all of that stuff, uh, you're asking for that to not go through the wax ring, but to come out. Right. So anyway, yeah, the, those closet bolts are pretty straightforward to fix, but you do have to drain, completely empty your toilet, the tank, the everything, and um, lift the toilet up. And set it off to the side, maybe put it in a garbage bag and set it off to the side, and then replace all of the stuff that's worn, rusted, or broken underneath that toilet. Mm -hmm. You don't want to let that sit around. This is also the time to replace the wax ring. Yeah. If you've taken the toilet off of the flange that's attached to the floor, which is around the hole, right? And that's you got ABS pipe or sewer pipe that's attached to the bottom of that. So the closet bolts attach the bowl to the flange, and the wax ring is the sealant that's between the toilet and the flange. So when you take the toilet off to replace the bolts, which you do need to be holding your toilet tight to that flange, you, this is the time to replace that wax ring. Just you know, uh, scoop that stuff up that's on there, put a new wax ring down on there, and uh, set your toilet back on it. And then, and then whatever you do, when you put the toilet back on top of the wax ring, don't rock it side to side. Just press it in there, maybe sit on the seat and just, just let it 
settle right down there, and then uh, then put your nuts back on your new closet bolts, and voila, you're good to go. Bazang. Yeah. Uh, another thing that breaks often on the toilet is the lid. Yeah, I have a broken lid right now. I know. I just had to replace mine not too long ago. Where did you find it? Um, uh, Home Depot. Really? Yeah. Six, I don't even six know who bucks. That, I don't know. I don't recognize that name. I know. I don't know what that is. But, six dollars. Uh, really? That's all it was. Six huh? bucks. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that. Uh, here's the the funny thing about the the one that I had to replace. Who they must have lost the bolts that hold the toilet lid down to the toilet. Right. There's two holes in the back of the toilet. And the bolts go down, and then they usually thread up from the back. And a lot of the newer ones come with a plastic thread oh, right. and a plastic nut. Well, these yahoos used an old zinc um, carriage bolt, mm-hmm. like a quarter-inch by six-inch carriage bolt, two of them, and threaded a nut in a washer all the way up, six inches. That thing was rusted solid. Oh, man. It was not coming off. I had to get my sawzall out and cut the bolts off. Wow. I was mad. I bet. Yeah, I, you said lid, and I, I guess you were talking about the seat lid. Oh, well. Um, I was thinking the whole... about the tank lid. Oh, sorry. I have a broken tank lid. I don't even know. I mean, I, that's something I have to start working Amazon. on. Amazon. <laughs> yeah, everything's on Amazon. Um, yeah, so are we done in the bathroom? I think I'm ready so. to be done in the bathroom. Um, There's just a lot of things, you know, it's a lot of wear and tear in the bathroom. You know, we actually spent a minute or two in the kitchen, but something we didn't talk about that does not have, um, you know, does not have a hundred year lifespan is the disposal. If you have a disposal attached to the bottom of your kitchen sink, that disposal is, while it seems to be super rugged and able to do anything, it is kind of fragile and susceptible to failure. And uh, without, here's the thing. If your disposal is not working, right, then anything that goes in there is stuck there, right? Uh, you're in there reaching in there, fishing stuff out because it won't drain. Uh, if you've got solids that go down to the disposal and the disposal won't run, that stuff's stuck there and it's going to start to smell. So you're in a situation and you can't just take it off. Because then you have this hole in the bottom of your sink. So you you know, you know need to think about this. Um, obviously, you're not going to replace it probably before it fails, but it's something you can plan for. As a matter of fact, you can even go out and buy a new disposal and have it on hand ready to go in case yours is starting to make some uh, you know, funny noises or if it's getting really loud when you run it. Oh, man. Disposals are really quiet. The newer when, ones are. When right they're now. new, Yeah. But uh, when it's getting old, years, four or five years maybe, it starts to run loud, and uh, it's probably on its last leg at that point. I know. I had some a friend over uh, a couple weeks ago, and we were for dinner. We're cleaning up afterwards, and we're running the disposal. And he was like, is, is it on? I mean, my disposal is super I bought the quietest one they make, yeah. like the big quiet one. And uh, over his house, not too before then, we were last time we were there. I mean, it sounded like a Cummins diesel. Just yeah. rah, 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 rah. You know, it's just so loud. I was yeah. like, oh my goodness. Yeah. I, in 15 years at my house, I've replaced mine twice. Wow. So, uh, yeah. And you know what? It, I love the disposal, so I wouldn't do without it. Um, but you just have to keep in mind that it is something that will fail eventually. I actually have, we've gotten listeners uh, that have told us that you should not put 
food down the disposal. But I've also talked to people who are on the exact opposite of the spectrum, that if you're filling your garbage can with food waste, that you're essentially causing all of this stuff to go into a landfill and just it fills up faster, mm -hmm. right? But the reasoning behind this guy was like, he said that it's all that stuff's going into the water treatment. Mm. Oh, I yeah. I don't know what the right answer is. Yeah, well, I've got an answer for you. We'll talk about that right after the break. You're listening to Tony Core, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Today we're talking about house failures. And uh, before the break, I was mentioning the disposal and how a listener told us, well, you shouldn't put anything in the disposal because it's running that through the water treatment facility, putting extra strain on that. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'll tell you what. Here's here's the, a simple answer to that. Um, if you're peeling potatoes or cracking eggs or... Um, or you have lemon or lime or orange rinds or banana peels, right, that are left over from your... You don't want to put that stuff in your disposal. Regardless of whether it's poisoning the water system or not, you're missing a huge opportunity. Those things are perfectly suited to be in your compost bin, which helps to break down yard debris and create mulch, which you would otherwise have to pay for. And so I am a firm believer... And composting and uh, and those things, along with coffee grounds, are perfect for apple cores, perfect for uh, your compost bin to help you break down your yard debris and turn it into mulch. So here's an interesting, I just found an article that uh, just talks about uh, garbage disposals and the, the things that you're not supposed to put in them. And coffee grounds is the number one thing on the list. Yeah. Coffee grounds, uh, I don't put my coffee grounds in the garbage or in the disposal, but I didn't know that you couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one's pasta. Mm. Pasta expands when soaked in water for long periods of time, so it can potentially get caught in there. Mm -hmm. uh, chicken bone, any sort of bones. Right, bones never, of yeah. course. Uh, oatmeal. Did you know that? Interesting, I did Oatmeal also expands, so you can get it uh, stuck in the sewer. Boy, oatmeal. When is the last time you ate oatmeal? Well, my kids eat oatmeal all the time. So oatmeal, a little bit of oatmeal residue left in a bowl that does not get filled with water. Man, it's like concrete. <laughs> I mean, I am telling you, that stuff so is it sticks the, to your bones. That is the hardest thing in the world to clean out of a bowl. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I don't even want to know what it's doing in the disposal. <laughs> um, no nuts, nuts, huh? Yeah, no nuts in the uh, disposal. In the disposal. Uh, onion skins. Ooh, yeah, onion skin. Interesting. Egg shells. Egg shells, of course. Uh, let's see here. Garbage. Any sort of trash. Anything that is not biodegradable. Of course. So um, no, pa no paper. You don't want to put paper in your disposal. Right. Any fibrous vegetable, like pumpkin or squash. You know what I'm talking oh, about? Yeah. They're kind of stringy. Spaghetti squash. Yeah. 
You don't want to put those in the disposal. And potato, potato peels. Potato peels. Yeah, absolutely. I used to, I knew somebody that would just. Peel the potatoes right in the sink? Right into the sink and Run then it down in the, right yeah. down into the Here's the thing. The potato peels, when you peel them off, can be super thin, and yet they're also um, formidable in that they're strong. And so what happens is they'll slip down between the wall and the spinning rotor, and they will wedge in there and cause that rotor to not be able to spin. Bend there. Hmm. No good. Interesting. Yeah, you don't want to do it. Uh, pits, like uh, no peach seeds. pits or, yeah. you know, yeah, big seeds like that. Uh, cleaning chemicals. Now, yeah, this brings me to another point as we're looking at this and thinking about this. We've had a lot of conversation in the past about putting liquid liquid uh, drain Drano, cleaner, yeah. yeah, or those types of chemicals in there. Of course, you're definitely taking a risk when you're dumping that kind of chemical into the sink, which, like you said, ultimately ends up probably in the public water system or, or something along those lines. I'm, I'm no you know, expert in that area either, but it seems like uh, not putting chemicals in there is a good idea. Yeah. Um, last one and uh, last couple here, corn husks. Oh yeah. Those are, which those are would, stringy. Who would do that? I, I don't That one know. seems weird. Corn husks. So I wouldn't think would, it would even chop it up anyways. Probably not. Oh, and shells. Yeah. Like, uh, like, you know, seafood shells, no sand dollars. Don't put sand dollars in there or mussels. Turtles. <laughs> yeah. Keep your turtles out. Uh, but we have heard on multiple occasions that it's okay to put ice in there and that ice may actually help to sharpen the blades that are in there. Yeah. And, and clean it out. Yeah. Uh, 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 it was funny because one time I had heard, you know, it's another thing that you cut like a lemon or a slice of lemon or something and put it in there Mm -hmm. and and run it. Uh, I don't think you want to throw the whole lemon in. You don't want to throw the rind in there. (laughs) It can be, especially if the lemon has been sitting for a while. You know, the rind on the outside of a lime or a lemon. It's really hard. It's like leather. <laughs> I mean, it's like throwing a, a baseball glove in there and hoping that it's going to grind it up. So we went to an open house one time at a house, and I think that the disposal stunk really bad because they threw an entire lime <laughs> or lemon into the disposal. It was really funny because some, I didn't do it, but somebody turned on the disposal maybe to test it mm-hmm. during this open house and it was just like <laughs> just you know you could hear the thing and everybody kind of walked over all laughing about it like who would throw an entire lemon in there silly that is silly it those things grind up a lot of stuff but they don't grind up everything totally so, so following the rules and making sure you're just disposing of things that should be in there uh is smart and coffee grounds is not one of them although it seems like the natural place to do it. Yeah. You know, you rinse out your coffee filter. Uh, you know, it's easy to do that right there in the sink. Um, I think bulk, bulk uh, coffee grounds. I think if you have a little bit in your thing, it's not a big deal. Yeah. What about the K-cup? Just throw the whole K-cup right down in there. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> probably not. Yeah, it's not a good idea. Um, so here's some easy ones. Some other ones that are probably a little obvious that sometimes slip through the cracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, your smoke alarm. Yes. Sometimes smoke alarms, even the batteries, replacing the battery, they, sometimes they just go bad. Yep. And uh, you need to replace the whole thing. They actually make now uh, 10-year smoke alarms. So you hard, put them up and you never- Hardwired? No, they're, they just have a battery in them that lasts 10 years. And you put them in and you never have to worry about it again. Interesting. Wow. That's the, the last ones I put in my house are the 10-year batteries. So I don't have to worry about replacing the batteries anymore. Uh, a fire extinguisher. 
Yeah, I'll tell you what. We we you know we work at Par Lumber Company. And Par Lumber Company, we employ fire extinguishers in all of the necessary areas. And fire extinguishers left sitting, they will and can fail, actually. Uh, they need to be serviced, actually, on, on a regular basis. We have ours serviced every year. A fire extinguisher specialist comes out. Of course, we have like 25 fire extinguishers on the property. And so it's important to make sure that they're all working, functioning properly. So we have somebody come out and they check each one. You know, the stuff can settle to the bottom and then sort of become hard and then not uh, disperse out of the nozzle when you fire it off like it's supposed to. So I think they maybe shake them up and, you know, uh, just make sure that they're working. Of course, check the needle. Make sure the needle is uh, in the uh, in the the go area or the green area and not in the red area. Uh, but just inspect your fire extinguisher. Know how old it is. Um, you can actually go online and take a look at some a few things that you can do to inspect your extinguisher, make sure it's working properly. Yeah, the uh, you know, fire extinguishers can you, also be refilled. They can, yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, if you don't have one, you should probably get one. I mean, they're pretty inexpensive. You probably pay less than 50 bucks for a good fire extinguisher, but you should have it handy. You know, if there was ever a situation, you could quickly grab it. It's always a good idea to have one close by in the sink. I mean, in the sink, <laughs> not in the sink. Under in the, the sink? In the kitchen. That seems to be an area where uh, fires are started regularly. Yeah. I used to volunteer as a firefighter in in uh, the city that I lived in years ago, and I actually uh, responded to a attic fire that where the the homeowner had a grease fire on the stove and turned on the range hood to vent the smoke that was coming from the grease fire. And it actually, the flame went right through the range hood and up into the attic and sparked the insulation, which started the entire attic on fire. And um, they, of course, got out safe, but we spent hours in there overhauling that house. We had to we had to use pike poles and pull all of the sheetrock down off of the ceiling and so that we could expose the the burning timbers that were up in the attic space, and it was a mess, a major, major mess. Hours also spent in the basement vacuuming up the water that we had just dumped all over that fire in order oh, to put man. it out. So it happens very fast. A, a grease fire in the kitchen is pretty common. So keep a uh, fire extinguisher. They actually make fire extinguishers for putting out different types of fires, so one that is a, a grease fire um, would be one to use for that. Keep that in your kitchen. It's a good yeah. idea. All right, yeah, we've got a whole list here of uh, things we're running through, but uh, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, more house failures. Listen to Tony Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. You're listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now. Here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, today we're talking about house failures, but uh, if you haven't already, go check out our Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest. Uh, we're all over social media. We're at WW Home Show, uh, or you can go to par.com, click on the Weekend Warriors link, and uh, that'll take you to all of our stuff. We're also on podcasts. If you miss any portion of the show, you can go check that out there. Uh, we're on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. That's right. 
So, uh, Tony, you know, we're talking about house failures, and probably one of the biggest failures would be to not be able to start your barbecue when you have people over to to eat. Yeah, you got to be able to get that. You're going to have a revolt on your hands. I would not want to be in a situation where I'm grilling for guests and my grill won't grill. Well, and if you don't properly maintain it, you can cause problems. You actually, you're started on fire. Yeah, disaster. You don't want that to be the case for sure. Keep that flu clean and you won't have that problem. Yeah, absolutely. You know what we should do is we should talk to a professional barbecuer. We've got Mr. Barbecue. What's up, Happy? Hey, not much. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. Well, you yeah. got anything good for us this week? I do. I do. So since we're getting kicking off and getting going and, you know, we did one last week. Uh, so, you know, it's it's we're going to go with one of the standard ones that everybody starts with and seems to do more than everything else. We're going to do baby back ribs today. Ooh, baby back ribs. Yeah. There's a funny yeah. it's funny. I just have to sideline for a little bit for a second here. Uh, Corey and I went out to dinner not too long ago, and he ordered some braised short ribs. He he ordered yes. braised short ribs, and I'm imagining that he's going to get ribs, and he's going to be picking the meat off the bone and that sort of thing. But he got it, and it was just this clump of amazing uh, tender meat, and there was no bones in it at all. I guess uh, I just heard ribs and assumed that there was ribs in it, but apparently there's uh, ribs out there with no bones. Right. Well, th- you can get them boneless, or you can get them actually bone in. Um, it, it's if you look at the whole entire piece, it's probably a foot by a foot long, and um, uh, it's got uh, probably six, seven bones in there, and it's off the chuck, and so it's it's really got that tenderness of that uh, chuck steak because it's really marbled, heavily marbled, and I will do a recipe for you guys on it because it is the bomb. I mean, it is because you got what? What was it, Corey? Probably an inch and a half, two inches of meat yeah. standing straight up. Yep, just about that. Yeah, and uh, so you'd slow cook them, um, and it, it's just they're fantastic. So we we will do those. I, th- I think we've done them in the past, but I'll give you a recipe for it because, man, when you're flaking that stuff off of the fork and just going to town on it, it, it is it's to die for. It's it's really great flavor, and it's got all that marbling in there that gives you the flavor. Uh, it's just a great piece of meat for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I could not resist, uh, taking a bite of the food off of Corey's plate, which he allowed yeah. me to do and he didn't, he didn't hit me. Uh, and it and was, it, melted, it, it? it did absolutely just amazing. I will definitely be ordering that the next time we're there. It's funny. Pork ribs are kind of cooked the same way. You're doing the same thing. Um, I would recommend that even though they come boneless, I would actually do the bone. Uh, it's, it's, uh, because you want that marrow and the whole thing working together with the bone and the meat smoking. So, but, but, you know, uh, boneless is just great, but it's just, you know, it's just, it's a chore. It's great food. I mean, it's just great, great food, but we're talking about, we're talking about conventional bone in ribs today. Yes. Conventional baby back bone in ribs. So we've talked in the past about three, two, one. Everybody's talked about three, two, one. You go on a website, everybody says three, two, one. What that means is three hours. You're going to cook them on the smoker uh, with your seasoning and everything. Two hours wrapped, one hour non-wrapped. And as time's gone on, and I've looked into it and done it, I and, and some of my buddies who are kind of connoisseurs. We've gotten to the point where the six hours is probably a little too long. And that last hour, you have to really watch. You can dry them out pretty good and or get them overly cooked where they're tough. So 
I, I, I recommend everybody take a look at their smoker and watch it, get a feel for what it requires. Don't lock it into a three, two, one and think that's the absolute answer. So I, I do mine like two, two, one. Um, and then I was reading an article today. Uh, there, there's a big article out talking about, do you wrap your ribs or you don't wrap your ribs? And in the industry, there's, it, it's kind of split 50-50. Some of the old guys say never wrap, never wrap. But I will tell you this, that if you do wrap them for a short period of time on the smoker, the steaming mechanism inside that tinfoil can bring a bad piece of meat into a good way. And so you're, you're kind of reducing some of the, your averages of, of getting that potential bad rib that might be a little tough. Uh, if you if you tend to wrap it a little bit, let that steam in there, uh, it'll really, really uh, kind of marinate that rib and make it a little less tough uh, mm. down the road. So, But what we're going to do is we're going to use some standards out there. Um, Smokers 225, uh, all kinds of new smoke pellets out there right now. You've got uh, uh, mixture uh, pellets out there now with all kinds with cherry and hickory all together. There's some great ones out there right now. In fact, you know, Tony, we've tried those. And, and so I, I like a mixture out there on these. Um, so, but we're going to get cumin, paprika, brown sugar, garlic powder, onion powder, salt. Now I like, uh, like a Jacobson salt or a more, uh, crispier, uh, coarse, mm. uh, more coarse, uh, salt, mm -hmm. like Jacobson or something like that. Uh, chili powder. Um, we're going to use uh, chipotle powder and dry mustard, and we're going to use some red, uh, pepper flakes along with the, uh, uh black pepper. Mm. Now we're going to mix that nice and fine into a bowl. Make sure your hands are dry. Make sure everything else is dry. You don't want that, that to clump up. Um, because that just doesn't spread very easily, evenly on the uh, ribs. So we're going to get the rib out, put it down. We're going to pull that membrane off the back, peel it all the way off. Then we're going to coat these ribs with that and make sure they're dry. Um, we're going to coat these ribs and coat the entire rib, both sides. And then we're going to store it. The minimum or the, the maximum is 24 hours in the fridge. Minimum is probably four or five hours. I would prefer doing it 24 hours, let that all kind of seep in there and, and the moisture get to it and it kind of gets into the meat and all that. So we're going to put them on the smoker at 225. Um, once again, talk to you, you know, look at your smoker, make sure what's going on with yours. And if it runs a little hot, you know, adjust, whatever. So the first two hours, we're going to just cook it dry. We're going to cook it on there, smoke it at 225. And then the next, and then after that, the first, those first two hours, the second two hours, we're going to wrap them up. We're going to wrap them in tinfoil, make them nice and tight, and uh, let that moisture in there and the steaming effect work. And then we're going to pull them off the last hour. Mm. Uh, once again, everybody talk three, two, one. I'm going to go two, two, one. But keep an eye on it that last hour. What we're looking for on the big bone on the rib, we're looking for probably a half an inch shrinkage on the outside bone, on the, the big wide bone. Mm. So we want at least a half inch of shrinkage there. Um, professionally speaking, if a rib pulls completely off and there is absolutely no meat on that bone, those are just a hair too done. So we want a little tug on it with a little bit of meat on it, not a lot. If it's really, really hard to tug, then you're it's not done. Uh, but we want a little bit of tug on it before – if it comes right out, you've gone a little too far. That's so just tip. keep an eye on that. And then – now, I do mine without 
sauce. I think sauce should be added afterwards. Mm-hmm. A lot of people disagree with that, but um, I would uh, I would prefer to uh, add the sauce later, and then you could do all kinds of things with sauce. We've talked about that in the yeah. past. Yeah, I think but there you go. I think that's a good idea, also because obviously, uh, if you if you get too much sauce on it, then people are you know having yeah. the opportunity to, to add their own sauce. And this way, obviously, also, you can have a couple of different sauces for them to choose from, then Bingo. everybody will be happy. Here's one yeah. last tip. That's a great recipe, and everybody's writing that down right now, but here's one last tip. If you find yourself going into a street fight with a kickboxer, wrap your ribs. <laughs> that is when you want to wrap your ribs because I, I guarantee you're going to come out feeling better after that. Thanks, Pap, so much for that recipe. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. we got to take a quick break. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks so much to Pappy. That recipe sounded delicious. Mm-hmm. Uh, today we're talking about house failures. And before the previous break, we were talking about smoke alarms. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple more things inside the house, you know, the kitchen, that, that can be problematic. Especially in the kitchen. Clogged drains. I mean, this is one of those things that happens. And we were just talking about this not putting chemicals into your uh, disposal. Mm-hmm. You want to, there's a down below there, you know, a P-trap. And that P-trap is for keeping water and keeping the gases come out. But it also, you can take it apart and clean that out from underneath. And and that's an easy way to do that if you do have a disposal, because you can't snake a disposal. So we talked about not putting chemicals in the sink, right? Whether it's the kitchen sink or the bathroom sink or whatever the sink or the drains in the in the tub or whatever. We talked about not putting chemical in. I got a tip actually recently that the very best thing to pour into your sink that's got that's clogged with hair or whatever's in there. You guess what it is? What? Coca-Cola. Oh, really? Apparently, that will eat anything, including the grease on the engine in your car. Oh, my. Apparently, Coca-Cola, which does not seem to affect your stomach lining, will literally eat through almost anything else that you put it on. So, uh, you know, that might not be a bad idea. I'm not afraid of uh, pouring Coca-Cola into the city water, right? I mean, I drink it. Um, most of the world does. It's all that ascorbic acid. Whatever it is, but apparently it uh, eats hair. So <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe give it a shot. We're going to get sued by Coke. <laughs> Wait, the, we love Coke. Yeah, we do. It's, it, it's a, uh, you know. It's my favorite. It's, it's cross-trained as a, as a, you know, a sink unclogger. <laughs> Um, all right, let's move. Uh, let's talk about some other things like outside of the house that are, are really common. Oh yeah. Um, going out of the house, our front doors, our entry doors, our windows, weather stripping, weather stripping is one of those things that just goes bad. Yep. It does. 
Uh, it gets chewed up by the dog or the cat, or it, it wears just, out. It just gets compressed to the point where it doesn't come back out and do the job it's supposed to be doing. And what job is that? Keeping cold or hot air from traveling in and out of the house. I mean, it's blocking uh, the exchange of heat and cold, and that's really what it dr- keeps drafts down and uh, reduces the transfer of heat and cold. That's that's its number one job. Yeah. It's uh, and it does. Another thing that wears out a lot are door sweeps. No, absolutely. At yeah. the bottom of the door, older doors a lot of times will have like a rubber strip with um, pieces of rubber that go down and touch the floor, and mm-hmm. then come across and seal against your threshold. Mm-hmm. And those things, as they just open and close, the rubber breaks down, just wears it right down over the years. Yep. And if you can see daylight. Under your door. Or on the sides or wherever. Yeah, or anywhere. It's time to replace your weather strip. Absolutely. It's a pretty inexpensive fix, and you will be glad you did it. Uh, if you have an adjustable sill, the threshold, some, a lot of newer doors have what's called an adjustable sill. And that sill has three or four different screws in it that you can adjust that up and down. To meet the bottom of your door. Exactly. Or to meet the weather stripping that's on the bottom of your door. So as things move around and shift and settle and wear down, you can raise the door sill Mm -hmm. and seal it up properly again. It probably has a maximum um, amount that it will raise to maybe a quarter inch or or, uh, maybe three-eighths of an inch. Just enough. But it can be just enough to close that gap if you've got a gap there. Um, some other things, you know, Tony, you actually said that the handle sets on your door oh, have yeah. worn out. Yeah. I've replaced several handle sets in my house since I built it in 2005. Wow. I can't believe it's been that long. 15 years. Uh, yeah. The handle sets do wear out, especially on the front door. You go in and out of that front door, um, as often as you do. And that hardware is just not going to last forever. Um, I've replaced the handle set on my front door once already. And it's failing today uh, now, so and it needs to be replaced again. Also, the handle set on the door that goes from the main living area to the garage, that handle set also needs to be replaced. And, it, you know, you can get a nice, high-quality handle set, but it doesn't mean that it's going to last a lifetime. It, it's really not going to. Right. Uh, here's some other things. Old windows. Single-pane windows. Uh, I think we all kind of know they're why they fail, mm-hmm. uh, but even newer windows, double pane windows, that seal can fail. Yep. And some here's some going in even deeper. Some other things about vinyl windows that can fail are the f- the fins. If they're installed incorrectly or have been uh, hit with something, those the fins on the exterior of the window that nail the window to the surface of your building, if that cracks, you're in for some serious trouble. It can be. Because that water can make its way in and make its way inside of your building, and you would never know it until it's too late. Uh, So make sure that you're inspecting those regularly, uh, or if you had some sort of uh, incident with a window or, you know, somebody banged against one or, you know, maybe a soccer ball was kicked really hard against one, Mm -hmm. the wind of the glass may not have broken, but the the fin underneath can be... uh, a detriment to that window. Window manufacturers do not warrant the the seal of an insulated unit forever. It's not a lifetime warranty because they know it's going to fail. 
um, you know, 10 years or 15 years or whatever, those seals start to fail. It depends on a lot of different factors, but that's something to expect. If you get, have a window that fogs up, right, and then doesn't unfog in one area or maybe even a large portion of the window, that's probably because moisture has gotten into between the panes of the window and that's the seal has failed and moisture has gotten in there. Would you but, say well, you, you have window panes? Yes, you have at that point for sure. But those can be replaced. It's it's a matter of a cost. You have to hire a guy. He comes out, measures it, orders a new insulated unit. He pops off the uh, pops off the plastic uh, pieces that hold it on there, and uh, takes that old one out, puts the new one in, puts the plastic pieces back on, and uh, you're good to go. Well, or you can do it yourself. You could as a I've weekend warrior. I've replaced mine. Yeah, twice. I had one break. Mm-hmm. Via a la my daughter. Right. And uh, I remember that. Uh, the other one actually broke uh, via a la the uh, remodel. That's one of my right. buddies got a little overzealous with a sledgehammer, <laughs> and a piece of wood came flying down and crashed through that window. Yep. I remember that. So it's, it's the, it wasn't that hard, honestly. Yeah. I was able to pull the rough opening measurements. I had to peel the plastic off, take mm-hmm. those measurements in. We got it made. And you helped me put it back in. I did. Yeah, I've I've replaced the insulated unit in, man, dozens and dozens of windows in my time. Used to be a window salesperson. I helped out with that a lot, and um, and it's it can be tedious at times depending on the situation. You know, are you on a ladder or are you on the ground? Oh yeah, sure. I mean, is it a really big window or a smaller window? Um, how sticky is the tape that they used to tape it in with, which you'll have to do. Um, yeah, so it can be difficult. Sometimes you break those little plastic, uh, pieces that hold the glass in there and, uh, those have to be replaced and that's not any good. So, you know, sometimes it can be challenging, frustrating, but it's not super difficult. And certainly a, a weekend warrior could tackle a project like that. Yeah. Well, I did it twice. Yeah, you did. You Bang. did good. Um, uh, but you know what fails even more often than the seals on your insulated windows? The screens on your windows. Oh, yeah. They are so susceptible to damage. They're so fragile. And um, and you want those things functioning properly. It's a lot less expensive to replace those. Uh, we actually did a, a how-to video on replacing the screen in a frame that was not damaged. So if you've got a, a screen a window frame that's not damaged, replacing the screen is a pretty easy task. Yeah, it's uh, it's not that bad. I would say if you have pets, buy the pet screen. They make a screen specifically, a fiberglass screen, uh, that prevents the scratching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, and it doesn't rip. You know, some really big thing that people should be prepared for that does not last the lifetime of the home is the roofing. Oh, man. I've replaced my roof on this house that I live in now, and uh, have you? You haven't done yours yet, nope, because yours is only years, fifteen years. Fifteen years, but I'm definitely looking at it in the next five if I if I stay in that house. Yeah, mi- things you want to look out for: missing shingles, uh, l- lifted shingles, mm-hmm. uh, missing ridge cap. Um, there's all kinds of things you just want to maybe have it inspected once in a while. If you want to extend the life of your roof, treat it for moss every year. Uh, the moss will grow on there, and it will actually infiltrate underneath the shingle, and uh, it will cause it to lift up, which uh, which allows, you know, for stuff to get up underneath that's not supposed to be in there. So yeah. you got to keep that moss off of that. Will shorten the lifespan. That's all the time we got for house failures. Uh, so many things. Yep. Really appreciate you tuning in. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Your Weekend Warriors right here on the Weekend Warriors Radio Network. Have a great week. 